Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, James, today's Leaf Report, today's episode of the Leaf Report is brought to you by GameTime. Now, I'm going to give you a little pop quiz. Do you think Maple Leaf tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? No idea. You can find the answer with GameTime, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. And I know, James, that you like to save cash. GameTime is the leader in last-minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. Uh, more than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download GameTime in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last-minute tickets. James, we are back with our, I don't know if it's our first podcast since the season started. Is it the first? I don't remember. No. Second. We did a podcast, we did a podcast last week. Are we, are, we, are we putting this on on the air? Is that what's happening? Yes. This is happening. <laughs> this is how, you know what it's, it feels like? Every time the season starts, there's this really big buildup before the first game. And then once you get past the first game, it just feels like the season's like, it could be game 61. Uh, but obviously the storylines are fresh. There's lots going on. Uh, I was going to start um, our chat with Matthews and the way that he's played in October, but I think we should start with what's more topical. Um, and that's obviously what's going on with the John Tavares line right now. What do you see with that group right now? Why do you think it's not working like it did last year? Well, I, I mean... Number one, you've got Kasperi Kapanen playing on left wing. I think that that's a, a big factor in what's happening. Mm, number two, you know, I, I think that if you look at the results that the Tavares line had last year with, with Hyman and Marner, their on-ice shooting percentage was was quite high. I know we've talked about that before, but got to mention it again. I think I believe they were over 11% at, at even strength. Very, very difficult to maintain that, so... You know, statistically, we could expect that they weren't going to produce at even strength as much as they did last year. Um, and I think number three, you know, I don't, Tavares and 
Marner just, I don't know, it, it doesn't, it, it hasn't really clicked yet, has it? Like, they just haven't had a lot of chances, and I wonder, the team as a whole, I wonder if there's just so much change and so many new players that that's a big factor in in why the Leafs look like the way they do. Yeah, that could be a part of it. Um, I think what's interesting, like when you bring up some of the on-ice shooting numbers, and you kind of touched on it, they're not really even getting chances. I mean, I thought it was pretty um, alarming is too strong because it's four games in the season, but it's it's notable that Tavares has four five-on-five shots and obviously no five-on-five points. And and obviously against St. Louis, like they had a little bit of time where they were rolling around in the offensive zone, but like they haven't been the same kind of dominant line like they were last year. Like aside from like the fact that they scored goals, they were like hemming opposing teams in. They were generating lots of chances, even if they weren't scoring. And right now it doesn't even feel like that. Maybe like as I think Mike Babcock kind of doesn't like this, but it kind of shows people why he thinks Hyman is better than people think he is. And that's because he does a lot of those things that don't like look like much, but actually kind of impact um, results. Now maybe he goes overboard and he, he probably does. But you could see how like his skills on that line with Marner and Tavares would make a difference, especially when you compare it to the way Kapanen plays, which isn't the same. How um how did you phrase that question after the St. Louis game to Babcock? It was something like I said something along the lines of, uh, do you think that that line is adjusting to playing without Zach Hyman? Right. And his answer and, and was, Babcock, Hyman's pretty good, eh? <laughs> Babcock kind of smirks and goes, Hyman's pretty good, eh? And then, you know, pause. And then, and it's funny, you know, Bab, Mike Babcock's been saying that since the very first game that Zach Hyman entered the NHL. And, and if you go back, Mike Babcock's had his eye on Zach Hyman going way back to when he played in college because... Of course, Mike Babcock was in Detroit with the Red Wings. Hyman was playing college uh, down there, and he was able to watch him a lot. And Mike Babcock has liked Zach Hyman since before he was a Maple Leaf and since before Mike Babcock was a Maple Leaf. So, you know, there's a, a long connection there. And I think that Mike Babcock gets picked apart and criticized a lot in Toronto for some of his personnel decisions. So I think that, you know, he likes to point out when... Uh, that was him pointing out that here's an example of where I was right and an example of where we missed this player. And I I still think that, you know, and I've been thinking rolling this around as a potential column that I could write. Um, I, I think that Zach Hyman's underrated, you know, and I think that he's important to this team. And I see fans saying that when he comes back, he should start on the fourth line. And I don't think that's the way it's going to play out. I don't think that's the way it should play out. I mean, this, like... Uh, maybe there's more going on than, than just Kasperi Kapanen, but like, it's it seems obvious that his skill set would be designed better for that line than Kapanen. The interesting thing to me, like the more I've thought about this, I get why they were trying it, like why Kapanen was kind of the first guy that they thought might be able to be a fill-in, but his game doesn't really resemble Hyman's. Like, yes, he's big. Yes, he can skate. But he's not like the same type of player. Like he was at his best last year when he was flying down the right wing, really putting pressure on defenses. Hyman's more like get in there, forecheck you really hard, free up pucks, play behind the net, pass to to Marner or Tavares around the net, 
and just kind of do a lot of the dirty work. And I just don't think of Kasperi Kapanen as kind of like a, a dirty work plumber kind of player. You know what I mean? Like, And he hasn't uh, played a, a lot of his NHL career against top lines, really, or top D pairs, or, you know, he's... Yeah, or at left wing. I think, like, we are underestimating. I think maybe he is underestimating... Um, the the lack of familiarity he has with playing left wing, especially in the NHL, like he just looks lost a lot of the time. Like he doesn't know totally what he's supposed to do. Like everything just kind of feels backwards. Like I mentioned in my story after the game, like there was a point when Marner had the puck coming across the middle of the ice. And and usually like w- what Kapanen does is he like coming down the right side, he's got so much speed, he can just time it and and make things happen like that. But he like slowed up. He looked unsure. He looked like he didn't know what to do. Uh, and then I think Marner, the play was broken up by the St. Louis defense, and it, it turned into nothing. And it just kind of symbolized the struggle that he's having. So I guess the question I would ask you then, and it was the question that I asked in my story, and I don't, I'm not totally sure on what the answer is. Do you think it's too soon to change it? Mm, I yeah, think see, I that's would. That's how I felt. I think I would change it, to be honest. I think I would. It's early enough in the season. I mean, maybe not against Tampa, but <laughs> maybe against Detroit. Try a different look. Or And the other thing they could do, they've been in a lot of close games. It's not like they've been, been in a game where they've been up three goals or down three goals or whatever, and they can experiment more. But if you end up in that situation, then maybe you really change it dramatically and see what some different looks give you and... I don't know how much you've looked at it, but there's been some work in the statistics community about assigning different player types to players, like ways that players play. And watching that mm-hmm. line not work is I've been thinking about a lot. Like, and when they assign player types to players, it's like playmaker, shooter, all around, um, dependent. You and I looked at that right, like a couple years ago, a yeah. little bit, and. I was saying this to you yesterday in the press box. The Leafs are a bit unique in that their two best centers that play most of the minutes are shooters. Um, Tavares and Matthews are both guys that could score 45-plus goals in the NHL every year, and they need people that are going to give them the puck in locations in the offensive zone where they're going to score. That's not really what Kasperi Kapanen is. That's, you know, his... You look at his skill set, I wonder if he would be a better fit with someone like Kerfoot on the third line playing against uh, weaker competition um, and a, a guy who really dishes the puck extremely well in Kerfoot, who, who I've liked the way that he's played, um, may, might be a better fit for Kapanen, who's kind of more like, I called it in, in, in my story on, on Sunday, turn and burn. Like he's he's all speed and then he gets those shots off and um really puts a lot of pressure on on teams blue lines um i just wonder if maybe there's i haven't looked at this closely enough with that particular line but i wonder if you categorize the different types of players if they just don't have the right pieces there and what they need is more of a facilitator like like hyman i think maybe trevor moore could work there i don't know about mikhaev yet just i need to see him a little bit more to know but even i think he potentially could fit better in that role well, Babcock has talked about the fact that the initial third line he envisioned was Kerfoot, Kapanen, and Mikhaev. So if I was going to do something, I think I agree with you. That's what I would do. I'd put more up with Tavares and Marner. I think like his, he's kind of like puck hungry, digs pucks out, he gets on the forecheck, he's feisty. I think he would be a fit there. And like the, the other thing to remember, like this is only for like another, I don't know, 10 games. 
which isn't nothing. Max. Obviously, it's an important part of the schedule, but um, I think it's something that if it doesn't happen on Thursday, it's going to happen soon. It just it, it you can tell like what was other what was also no, interesting after the game is how frustrated Kapanen was. Like yeah, it was noticeable like how distraught he was, which was strange to some degree given how early in the year it, it is, but like also indicates like how he's looking at this opportunity. So I guess we'll see. Um, he was frustrated after Saturday's game too, and not just because of obviously the penalty play, but I mean, you can make an argument that he, his man Petrangelo is the one that scored the winning goal uh, against yeah, St. Louis yeah. as well. So, you know, when you play your off wing, you know, one of the big things is kind of coming out of your own end and, and taking and receiving passes. And I remember one of the things we saw with Leo Komarov, a completely different player, obviously, but when they moved him to a different wing, he was much less effective at getting the puck out of his own end. So, you know, it's it's not like it's just a Kapanen thing. They're just, I think that there can be a comfort level for players on, on different wings. And, you know, not only is he on different wings and playing against different competition, he's playing with players he hasn't played with before. And yeah. The other the other option, if it's not Trevor Moore in that line, I mean, it's not like Andreas Janssen's had a great start with with Nylander yeah. and Matthews, so he he could potentially be a guy that you move too. Yeah, it's funny. I was walking back from the rink uh, after I finished my story, and I, I thought about like sending in to the the editors like to add a line that maybe they should do that. But then you know what you're doing. Then you're, I think you're causing more disruption to other lines because if you move Janssen down to play with Tavares and Marner who's going to play with Matthews and Nealander okay so it's Kapanen okay but then he's still he's still at left wing or you're moving someone else like you know or you say Trevor Moore then like you're changing three lines around it just feels like too much disruption um at this point in the year but then you're like putting then you're putting more I mean it depends if if they plan on using one of those top two lines as like against tough opposition or not i guess well they do yeah that's absolutely their plan um no but with like if, th- if if like are they singling out one of those lines to be the shutdown tough minutes line because then it matters who plays on the left wing there and you might not want trevor moore on a to go from you know fourth line duty last year third line duty this year in in four games and then you're going to put him on on your top line on your shutdown line like i could see babcock wondering if that's going to work or not you don't have a lot of choice. Like that's the that's the box that they're in. Like that was my first story after Kapanen's first game at left wing. Is like they don't have like well, obvious fallback options if 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 this doesn't they do have work a choice. So what I'm saying is like you could put more if you decide that Tavares line is going to be your shutdown line. Put more with Matthews then. Like you do have an option for like you can shelter one of those guys at least a little bit. Yeah, but then what I'm saying is then you're disrupting all three of your top lines. But the good thing all is, is you, you're going to get Mikheyev. Kerfoot, Kapanen together, and that's potentially going to be a line for the whole season. Like you could just leave yeah. that to if you can find something that works. Yeah, you know, I with, suppose with your other a, lines. It's a good point. The other point I was going to make in response to you is what's interesting is like Zach Hyman plays left wing and is right handed. Like he's just used to doing it. He's also not the guy who's carrying the puck into the offensive zone all the time. Yeah, you know who else Ooh. does it? Me and my beer league team. Yeah. Oh, so that's a perfect comparable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like playing the off wing. It's way better in the offensive zone. Your stick's in the middle of the ice. Like, I just find... But, but for Kapanen, that's less of an advantage, even the more you think about it. Like, his his advantage is coming down the right side. He's got room right. to shoot. He's not going to make plays. Like, he's yeah. just a shooter. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because 
the pucks further away from the defender, I guess, and along the yes, boards. Exactly. Yeah, right, and not in the middle of the ice. I like having the stick in the middle of the ice. And I know, I remember Joffrey Lupul said when he came to Toronto and they moved him, he had played left wing almost his entire career and they moved him to, to right wing. And that's when he started his, his, didn't they? Or did they, or is he a no, right shot? No, it's the opposite. Yeah, sorry, the other He's way around. He's a right around, shot. Yeah. Right, he's yeah. a right shot. He had they, his big year with Kessel. Because he played and, with Kessel, Bozak. yeah. But I remember him saying that it was kind of a revelation to him how much different the ice looked and how many opportunities he was getting in the middle of the ice because, you know, he had that right shot um, on the left wing. Man, remember how dominant he was for like a stretch there with those two guys? Well, he looked Kessel great. Especially. I remember why well, I yeah. watched him in junior hockey with Medicine Hat. He was a really good player too. He went seventh yeah. overall. Um, would you rather talk about the defense or would you rather talk about Matthews next? Let's stick with forwards. Let's let's keep it rolling here. Okay, so I think it's it's fascinating um matthew's numbers in october he's like almost at a goal per game best points or the most points at least going into the game the other night of any player in the league in october since he started what do you think that says like what do you think these hot starts are indicative of or is it just like random to some degree well we were coming up with some theories in the press box during the game right and i said that one of my theories is that matthew's but I don't know. I mean, he's three years into his NHL career, right? Or is this his fourth season? This is his like, fourth season. Yeah, so, I mean, he's been... But one of the theories I had was that, you know, before he made the NHL, the leagues he played in, there weren't... It wasn't, like, a really long schedule. Like, it wasn't like he played on a whole bunch of... Even, like, the travel hockey and stuff like that. I, I wonder if he would have played as long, as grueling a schedule as what he's gotten in the NHL. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that, that freshness... The other thing it could be too, Jonas, like maybe he trains really hard um, in July and August and he's just really ready by the time the season starts. I don't know. But yeah, he, I, he, I, he he looks like he's taken another step from the, how dominant he was last year. Yes, um, I think that's for sure. Um, I think the point about the freshness is is really interesting that he just comes in in as good a physical shape as he's, as he's going to be in throughout the year just because he's not banged up his legs probably feel good um i also think the other part of it about it is defenses are just kind of getting set structures are getting into place yeah and maybe he takes advantage of that to some degree more so than other players just because his shot is so lethal i don't know like it's um it's something like how like it's 30 goals in 36 games the people who know Matthews well say that he doesn't really, there's not like a huge off switch there that like, he's just like going all the time. And I'm sure he skates a lot in the summer and I'm sure he's, he said he was golfing a lot in the summer and not that that necessarily would help you, but I think he's just always doing something. And, and then you, you look at a guy like Janssen, who's always seems to start really slow. And I wonder if there's something that he's missing maybe in his off season where he's not at a high enough level and we saw it with with Nylander last year when he missed the first he missed camp and then he missed the first two months of the season and he came back and he looked really ineffective and it's it just shows you that how high a level you probably have to train at and I don't even think training camp with the eight preseason games and the traveling around and all that it's not enough time to get up to speed so the level at which you and I'm, we're just guessing. We're just theorizing on this stuff. But I think the level that you need to be at by the time you get to training camp needs to be really high. And I think that that's probably what Matthews has. Yeah. Well, and, and to the, the point about Janssen, Josh Cloak had a, a good story about some of the stuff that he tried to do differently this offseason to, to make sure Gymnastics. he didn't have another slow start. 
Yeah, and it, it obviously hasn't worked so far. We'll see if that changes. Uh, the he other used part to do we more somersaults mention. and stuff around the ice and use his cartwheels and all that. <laughs> well, the other thing we didn't mention is the power play. He's got a couple power play goals, and their power play has obviously looked. I think the way I describe it is it's less, it's far less predictable. Like there, there are so many different. You can see the little set plays they have, but like there are there's it's not as predictable what they're trying to do whereas last year it was like they were just trying to set up Matthews and it, Marner was just forcing the puck across the ice to Matthews every time and now it's like they've got Tavares in a more opportune spot where he can be a threat Janssen barely touches the puck as as kind of the net front guy but he's just there just to bang in whatever different. garbage is left if if there is any yeah but it just like it just looks like Matthews has an even clearer lane to the net from the right circle and the fact that he's able to get it off so fast just makes it impossible to stop. Yes, he's had a bunch of near misses, hasn't he? Like there was the one where the stick broke and the power play looks pretty good to my eye. The only thing is that the thing that I think they're forcing now is like trying to get Marner to shoot more. And while his shot, I don't know, we can argue if it's better or not. I It's still not he's still got the weakest shot of the guys on the ice. So you still don't want that. You want that to potentially, I wonder if he should like fake more shots or something and just not actually take them, but like threaten that he could, because some of the plays that that top power play unit where the plays died have been like kind of a Marner shot. Well, I find it a little funny that every year, right around this time, there become stories about Marner's going to try to shoot it more this year. And if you look at like his shooting rates every year, they are like almost identical. Like he, it never happens. Like he, maybe like he scored a bit more last year, and and maybe he can score even more this year. But like he, pretty much shoots it the same every time. Um, anyway, he said he was working on the one T though. Yeah, we should talk on the I don't podcast think like the kids. Mm, I don't I'm think cool. So. I'm hip. Uh, okay. Doctor Evil's back. Okay. Um, Doctor Evil's so talking about the one T, like the kids. We're, since we're staying on the forwards, uh, I do want to talk about William Nylander for a couple minutes. Um, he just looks different. I even think, like, as much as he looks obviously infinitely better than he did last year, I think he looks even different than he did his first two years. Um, I just think that comes with, like, he's 23, he's bigger, he's stronger, he's more experienced, he's he's kind of gone through some shit. I think it's he the just beard, looks like the a long different... hair, the round glasses, the eating the pastrami or whatever that was on, on the patio in the in the off-season photos. Like, I think he, he's just ready. Stop trying to drag this podcast off the rails. <laughs> okay, just, just answer the question. No, it's, I didn't hear a question. Actually, I don't think I asked you a question. Um... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Nylander looks good. I wish Nylander was a better talker, to be honest. Like he's dreadful to try and interview. So it would. He, I, I try I really like, hard. I like him as a guy. Like I think he's really interesting and his level of self belief. I think some guys would go through what happened last year. You get like twenty seven points and you're dragged through the mud and you miss those games or whatever. That would like knock. That would un uncenter some twenty two year old hockey players, but not him. He. He came in and, you know, he's he has this air about him, this confidence about him that, like, he's the best player in the world. Yes. And I remember, yeah. I, I think that helps him. I think that that helps him. It remind, doesn't, doesn't it remind you a little bit of Kadri? 
Yep. Yep. It's kind of like that. Yep. But Where he just doesn't... Like, Nylander yeah. doesn't... It's hard to get him down. Like, he did end up getting down last year, but it took... It took, like, not getting a point for 13 games or something before he started to kind of question himself. And he just came in this year without any of that doubt. Well, I've been really high on him for even through the downtimes, just because, like, you look at his ability, he really shouldn't, he really should be one of the best players in the league. Like, with all the things that he can do, it's just whether, like, he decides he's going to do them most nights. Like, you look at his, like, even his shot. Like, granted, he's got to he hit the, the net, net, man. He's got to hit the net. net. But, like, it, the only guy who probably has a better shot on the Leafs is, is Matthews. His passing ability is is about on par with, with Marner. It's different, but like the way he sees the game, the way he reads the game, there's no reason like he shouldn't be great. And like there's no reason he shouldn't put up 70 to 80 points every year. There's no reason like that contract shouldn't end up looking like a bargain for the Leafs. If they can get this like, I don't know how many times a year, but like if they can find that player more often, especially in the playoffs, like that's going to make a huge difference just in terms of how teams have to defend them. Well, he's with Matthews too. He's not on the third line playing fourteen minutes a game or whatever. I mean, it's that's a Matthews is the way that he's shooting the puck. Like Matthews is going to get forty five goals or more. I mean, Nylander, it's, those are going to be some easy assists, you know. And I, I know he's a good passer and all that, but there's also going to be some gimme points in there too. Sure. Well, but that that goal he scored against St. Louis that is not a gimme goal. Like that is that is high high end skill. Just being able to tuck it in tight. Yep. Um, Big pass from CC there. Yeah. I saw fans were saying on Twitter that, oh, you, you wouldn't see Zaitsev make a play like that. Probably not. Okay, that's actually the last thing we should talk about before we go. Um, the defense is unsettled right now. Obviously, the third pair is in question what it's going to look like now, what it's going to look like in a couple months. Uh, Sandine had a really good game against St. Louis. I hadn't thought he he looked all that comfortable, which isn't that surprising for a 19-year-old, but I didn't think he looked that comfortable in the first few games. He wasn't playing a lot. If that guy comes out more um, in the next few weeks, then the Leafs are going to have a difficult decision when Travis Dermott comes back. If not, um, he'll probably go back, right? Like, Don't you kind of see it trending toward that if – we don't see more of what we saw against St. Louis. Yes. And Justin Hall, I thought, had a pretty good game against St. Louis, too, which is encouraging. Like, if he can kind of find his confidence yeah. in, the, in the NHL for the first time, then I'd like to see Dermott and Hall as the third pair, to be honest. And I know that that is problematic in the sense that they need guys that can kill penalties and those kind of things. But, you know, those two played together with the Marlies and gives him another right shot who can move the puck up the ice. And I think that Dermott and Hall could really take advantage of, of third and fourth lines and third D pairs on other teams just because of their skill level. So, um, and you look at the catch. Actually, situation. I'm glad you brought up Hall. Well, no, go ahead. You're sorry. welcome. You're welcome. Continue cap situation. The cap situation. I mean, Sandine, his contract, he makes almost 900 grand and, so does Dermot. So when Dermot comes back, if Sandine's the one that goes down, that's almost pretty close to a one-for-one one exchange. Whereas if you keep Sandine, they're really tight. Like they're they'll only be able to keep Hall as their extra player. Like they won't even be able to keep a guy that makes seven hundred k. That's how tight it it looks to me, anyway. Looking at the numbers, and 
So, you know, I, I don't... It's It was good to get this look at Sandine, but I was saying to you the, this to you last night when I was watching the game against St. Louis. Sandine doesn't... He didn't really stand out. Like, in a game like that against a really good team where things are moving really fast, Sandine didn't... You weren't, like, pointing to him and, like, look at that guy go. Like, he's... I think he's still got room to go in terms of his skating and how dynamic he is and, and his agility and all those kinds of things. Well, I talked to him before the game, and the thing he said is the thing that's true. It's just way faster. Like, you just what, – what made him stand out in the AHL and obviously in the preseason a bit is, like, he was able to kind of navigate the speed – so he could take an extra second to make a play. But, like, now in the NHL, like, you you lose that second. So there's less time. And even though he's still composed, it doesn't look the same because the speed is faster, the guys are bigger, the skill is higher. Um, But uh, you mentioned Hall. What stood out to me, like, he played almost 13 minutes, which is a lot for him. He was even playing in the third period, and, and I'm pretty sure late in the game. He just looked like he mentioned to me at some point in the last week that he wanted to use more of his offensive game. And we saw that, like I had not seen that from him mostly in the NHL. He had that rush coming down the left side where, where he had a good chance to score. He moved the puck. He skated the puck. Like he looked like the player. I think that, that Kyle Dubas believes in, I guess we'll just see if he continues to get an opportunity, but I, I don't disagree with you. It'd be interesting to see him, and Dermot as that third pair if they end up sending Sandine back down. Well, this is kind of what I was arguing a lot last year is like early in the season, you you know that this team's going to be good enough to make the playoffs. Like you don't have to grind out every single PK in November. Like let some of these guys play and see what they can do. And I think that part of what Hall needs is just to like be in the lineup consistently and getting at least, you know, didn't he only play like six minutes one of the games this, this year so far? Like give him like 12 minutes let him do what he can do. He can obviously skate. Um, play him with a good partner in Dermot and, and see where it goes. Well, and you know what he also did, which he never did last year, is he killed penalties. And, like, if you're going to be that sixth defenseman, like, you need to be able to do that. It didn't look good uh, in the Columbus game. It looked better uh, against St. Louis. If he can do that, like, there's no reason he shouldn't play. And you're right. Like, this is – these are early peaks – uh, or early signs of, of Babcock showing like a little bit more flexibility um, because we obviously didn't see this last year. Hall played 11 games. I think he played like three games the first three or four months. So this is this is new. This is different. Right. Hello? I agree. We're getting some background noise. Is that, <laughs> I is think that that's... your building? Is there any sirens over there? In your yeah. Com- yeah, I can hear it. It's like a motorcycle, yeah. Got the condo window open there. I don't know what's going on with the weather. It's been like 20-something degrees every day in October. I love it. (laughs) All right, is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, Leafs have a pretty tough schedule, don't they? They got a lot of good teams that they got to play, and they got a lot of games in October. And, you know, Tampa, obviously a huge test uh, on Thursday. You know, it's... I don't know. I mean... Babcock keeps saying he likes what his teams look like so far. I thought they played pretty well against St. Louis. and The the one player we didn't talk about that I think we could mention is Tyson Berry. Sure. What do you want to say? He's pretty good. What comes to mind? (laughs) He is. You know what he is? Um, Actually, I did something to ask you, so remind me to ask you that after. 
what's what's been interesting to me in watching him play up close um, is he's very, very, very different from from Jake Gardner. Even though they're both in like the same puck mover mold, he is not. He's a totally different element on their defense. Mm-hmm. He's not the same kind of skater as as Gardner. No, um, no. He's got a level of unpredictability. Not the same kind of puck mover. Right. But he's unpredictable, well, but just too. in like a different way. I don't know how you would describe it, though. Yeah, he's more of like, he's even more take chances kind of thing than, than Gardner was. Like more well, was like Gardner wasn't even like leaning. taking chances. He was like making a mistake every once in a while that really stood out. Yes. You know what I mean? Like there's a difference, right? Like it's. Gardner sometimes would turn a play that seemed seemingly innocuous into something, a chance for the other team. That's not, Barry's just more, I don't know. It's easy. I, I really liked the look that they went um, six on five uh, against the Blues. I thought that y- you look at the players that they were able to put out there when they can get the two defensemen going, and they had a lot of zone time there uh, with the goalie out within the last two minutes of the game. And I think part of it is, they didn't have this last year where you have a right-hand shot that's as good offensively as Barry is. And I think that that's going to yeah. earn them some points late in games where they can claw back. And you got Riley on the left point and Barry on the right point, And that looked really effective to me, even though they weren't able to get the equalizing goal. Yes, and that's one advantage like that they are additional advantage that they have now with the defense the way that it is. And once they get everyone healthy is like you think towards – the end of the game, they can go Riley Berry and then they can go Muzzin Dermot or they can go Muzzin yep. Sandine. Like, you know what I mean? Like before, like they basically had to eliminate two of their top four defensemen because they couldn't play when they needed a goal. Like they couldn't play Hainsey. They couldn't play Zaitsev. Now they've got like guys who can actually do something in that regard. And that's a change. And that's, we'll see how that uh, evolves, I guess, over the course of the year. That's all I got. Yeah, oh, but- my question Yes. Can I ask you a question? Is this like the so there were, question that didn't get asked like half an hour ago? No, this is a real question. I was thinking like I was I saw something in uh, Elliot Friedman's Thirty Thoughts thing about Josh Hosang. If you were the Leafs, would you would you think about that? Just because just like talent play, put him with the Marlies, play him a bunch. Like, do you think that's something that they would ever think about? Yeah, if you could put him down with the Marlies, I don't see why not. I mean, why not? Right. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Like that would uh, one of the things I, I I've told you this before that I learned when I went to the Sioux to to research or report on a story about Kyle Dubis is that like he is not afraid of like the quote unquote like problem player or whatever you want to call like what's gone on with Josh Hosank. Like those players who come with some red flags. Um, you know especially what, if though, they're Jonas, talented, like, and that guy is talented. When Hosang was put on waivers, I talked to some other teams, and they all said they didn't think anyone would claim him. So it's like, it's not just... Yeah. I don't think it's just, like, the late-for-practice stuff. I think that teams aren't really sure that he's going to be effective at the NHL level. So he needs to prove something. And the only thing, a caveat I would say, is that the Marlies have a lot of players and a lot of forwards. Yes. And you, you got to be sure that you can get him, you know, power play minutes and in time to, to prove himself. But... I don't imagine the Islanders are asking for much in a trade. Like, you're probably not going to have to give up very much. Maybe the Leafs can trade one of those veteran forwards that doesn't look like they're going to get an opportunity or... Yeah. 
and get Hosang working with Sheldon Keefe and the development staff and you never know. You never know with a guy like that. Yeah, we'll see. Like he's not he in the AHL last couple of years, he wasn't a point a game. Uh, it was like 43 and 6 and 56, 31 points in 50 games, 36 points in 50 games, but I mean, he was a late first-round pick. We'll see. Anyway, that was just something I wanted to ask you. I don't think we have anything else to talk about. I think you need to go. I need to go. Uh, so we will record. I don't even know what the schedule is for next week. Actually, I no, have it in front I of think me. Minnesota's here or something. Yeah, Minnesota on Detroit Tuesday, on and then I go to Washington on Wednesday. So mm. I think we can probably do like either a we should do Thursday Thursday, Thursday podcast. So stay yeah. tuned for that. I think that yeah, sounds and good. that'll be four more games in between now and then so we'll oh know God. so much more we'll know double what we know right now and then that's good that's exciting all right so i'll see you tomorrow at practice thank you for listening to everyone peace james bye As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.